We just thought we'd go a little old school today. How about that? Now, if you need to download that for your spiritual edification, that's the OJs and it's the love of money. I'm just going to leave it at that and we'll keep moving. We were talking about guardrails. Guess what guardrail we're going to talk about today? Money. You're quick. Take your Bibles today, go to the book of Matthew, if you will, and as you're doing that, let me talk to our campuses just a moment. We're glad you're with us and all of our campuses. We're excited week in and week out as we hear what's happening in the different locations of Love and Truth Church. We're thankful for the pastor that's there leading that campus. We're grateful that you're there today. So I want you to get ready to receive a life-giving, life-changing word today. My name is Eddie Couples. I'm the lead pastor for Love and Truth Ministries, and I'm glad you're with us today. Now, we've been talking on this whole aspect of guardrails, and so and, and so let me, let me just remind us about guardrails and what a guardrail is. Number one is a guardrail is a system designed to keep vehicles from straying into dangerous or off-limit areas. Now, don't miss that. That's what, that's what a guardrail is. A guardrail, uh, actually, a guardrail is not placed in the area of danger. A guardrail is just on this side of danger. It's just in, in that place uh, where that if you, you know, if you go on the other side, you're going to get in trouble. If you go over there, uh, you, you're going to seize a mess. But if you stay on this side of the guardrail, in fact, even if you hit the guardrail, the theory is, is that it's going to do less damage to you to run into the guardrail than it is if the guardrail's not there. Now, a lot of people want to live life with their wheels. They want the guardrail gone, and they want their wheel hanging off the side of the mountain as they go around. Now, that's, that's a foolish way to live, right? So the Department of Transportation says, look, uh, we just know that there are some places that you need a guardrail. And what a guardrail is for in, is kind of to awaken our conscience. It's kind of shake you and make you wake up and go, wait a minute, that's what this is about. Now, we kind of came up with a definition, though, not just for natural guardrails, but in our lives spiritually as we live for the Lord, this is, this is what guardrails are about. So I want you to get this. A guardrail is a standard. Now, get this. It's a standard of personal behavior that becomes a matter of conscience. Now look at that. It's a standard of personal behavior that becomes a matter of conscience. In other words, it's not saying that it's sin. We're saying, look, we're going we're to set some guardrails in, in our finances. We're going to set some guardrails in our morality. We're going to set some guardrails in every area of our life so that we don't find ourselves winding up, crashing and burning out there and finding ourselves in a mess. Uh, now, I want to tell you something. Last week, we talked about this whole thing. How many of you had a good time last week? I had a good time last week. I mean, I, I love just watching people's expressions last week. Uh, last week, we talked about this whole married, single, sex, and drugs, and rock. No, I didn't talk about drugs and rock and roll. But we, come on, you got to loosen up. If you're religious, you're not going to like this one either. Uh, you know, we, we talked about that whole thing, how you're supposed to live morally and above board and how God's called us to live pure lives and holy lives and that whole thing. Now, now what's interesting is, is I think that the area of scriptural teaching that's probably the most disregarded is what I talked to you about last week and what I'm going to talk to you about this week. Last week was that whole morality thing. This week, it's about our finances. People say such things as, well, the church is against sex. Really? Let me help you. God created sex. The other thing is, is, well, the church just wants my money. Really? That's all it's about? 
the church wants your money? No, there's, there's some principles there. We're going to talk about it today. In, in fact, I think this, if, if we kind of, for whatever reason, didn't even look at the rest of the Bible, but we just looked at what the Word of God said about our relationships with husbands and wives and single people and, and morality, and we looked at what the Word of God says about our finances, I think that would literally change our society. Now, let me help you about, about this, because we're, we're going to talk about some things today, and, and you just need to go ahead and drop your guard. All right, just, just go ahead and let down the gate and, and, and chill out, because we, we're just going to talk, all right? Uh, but, but let me help you for, for that whole understanding of all, all the church wants is my money. Everybody, listen carefully and, and just listen to me. God does not need your money. So we'll just settle that on the very beginning here, all right? Now, what, what we need to come to as an understanding, though, is that we live in a world that is permeated with the whole money aspect. Do you know that Jesus talked about money more than he talked about heaven and hell combined? Now, that was in that society, which was not near uh, to the level our society is, and, and Jesus thought it was important enough to spend time on that. So we're, we're going to talk about it. We're, we're, you know, I'm, I'm just crazy enough to talk about things that nobody else will talk about. All right? And, and so we're going to talk about it. I want you, I want you to take your Bibles uh, or your iPad or your phone or whatever you've got the Word of God downloaded on. Just take it. Um, I've got 24 versions here. I won't read all of them. And go to the book of Matthew, the sixth chapter. Matthew chapter 6 is a setting where Jesus begins to tell us how that we are to live. How do we conduct ourselves as believers? How do we operate uh, in his system? Verse 24, Matthew 6 verse 24, he says this, No one can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and he will love the other, or else he will be loyal to one and despise the other. He said, you cannot serve God and mammon. Now, some of your translation, if you ring out the New International Version, it says you can't serve God and money. That's okay translation, but it's not really the best. When you look up the word mammon, the word mammon refers and is, is uh, in the dictionary, if you look that word up, that word refers to riches. But it's more than just riches. In fact, it's tied to the Syrian God. And when, when Jesus was speaking in the Syrian mindset, there was a God called the God of mammon. And he was worshipped as the God of riches. You say, well, what does that mean? Well, let me help you a little bit. The God of riches, which was the Syrian understanding, the Syrians traced their lineage back to a city called Babylon. Ever heard of Babylon, right? And Babylon came out of a biblical setting, which was the Tower of Babel. Remember that? Where the people said, we're going to build a tower in the heavenly, so if God destroys the earth again with rain, that we're going to be up there and God can't destroy us. And, and so here's the whole thing. The Lord said, you can't serve God you can't serve the Spirit of the Lord and the Spirit of Mammon. He said they're two competing spirits. They're two competing worldviews, and you've got to determine. He said you'll be loyal to one and you'll hate the other, or, or you're, you're going to be in this conflict. Now, here's what Mammon represents. When it talks about the Spirit of Mammon, now let me help you for just a second. Your money has a spirit on it. Your money talks to you. 
Come on. All right? And it's your choice whose spirit's going to be on it. Now, here's what the spirit of mammon is. The spirit of mammon represents a prideful spirit that says, I don't need God. That's what Babel, the Tower of Babel was, we don't need God. So the spirit of mammon says, I'm trusting in finances. I'm trusting in money. I don't need God, and so therefore I'm going to live in the manner to please myself and what I want instead of living to please God. Now let me help you real quick because, again, it gets real tense when pastors start talking about finances. Here's what I want you to understand. God does not want something from you. He wants something for you. Now, how many of you have an understanding that God is our Father? Right? That's what the Scripture teaches. The Scripture teaches He is our Father. So if God is our Father, how many of you know that as a natural father, those of you who are, as a natural father or just a natural parent, you don't want things from your children. You want to give things to your children. Right? But you also understand that you've got to have some guardrails for your kids. You, you've got to establish something. I mean, I, I mean, listen, if, if you're one of those parents that say, we don't have any rules in this house, we don't care if they take baths, we don't care, you know, if they, if they get up in the morning, we don't care if they go to school, we don't care what they eat, uh, you know, they can stay out to 4 o'clock and we just don't care, but, you know, we don't want to be those mean kind of parents. Well, you're being worse by not having some guidelines and some guardrails in your family than somebody maybe who's a little too strict. Why? Because you have opened your children up to all kind of attacks because you're not willing to put some guardrails up. Now, the Bible says that God, our Father, He said it this way. He said, if you then being evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Heavenly Father? In other words, if we're down here doing things, how much more is God, our Heavenly Father, wanting not to get some something from me, but he's wanting to get something to me. Now, here's what we've got to come to an understanding of. The peace of mind that comes to us from trusting in the Lord can never be found anywhere else. If you are trusting in your finances, if you are trusting in your job, if you're trusting in all those things, you're in trouble. Let me, let me go one step further, though. God's biggest competitor for your trust is your money. No, I, I don't think anybody got up this morning and said, should I go to Love and Truth Church or should I go to the Church of Satan? I mean, nobody struggled with that. You, you didn't go, should I take the Bible or should I take the Satanic verses? I, Right? We don't struggle with that. We, we've kind of got that one figured out and laid out. Where we struggle in is this aspect of which master. Again, Matthew 6 says, no one can serve two masters. Which one are we going to serve? Uh, you know, uh, Bob Dylan, we must be in that old school 70s, 80s rock. Bob Dylan years ago wrote a song and said, you got to serve somebody. It may be the devil, it may be the Lord, but you've got to serve somebody. And so there's this whole understanding in Scripture there says you cannot serve God and mammon. You, you can't serve both of them. Now, our problem is, is that we trust our stuff. We trust our education. We trust our 
practice. We trust our business. We trust how good we are. We trust how much money we've got in the bank. We trust all of these things. But if I were to ask, and I'm going to talk to believers for a minute here, those of you who claim to be Christians, if, if you were to ask any Christian, who do you trust in, they would, without exception, they would also, well, I trust in the Lord. But our problem is, is that we say it with our mouth, but we live differently. I trust the Lord, but, you, you know, it's what we, we've kind of got the mentality with God uh, like we do with Fido. It's kind of like you go over there and you sit until I need you. And then when I need you, I'll say, come. And, and so as long as everything is going well, Lord, you just kind of stay over there and, you know, I'll, I'll go to church, and, but you just kind of stay over there. But then financial problems come, recession hits, trouble comes. Oh, Jesus, could you come, come quick, right? See, when, when we trust in our stuff, uh, we, we kind of veer off into one of two ditches. We, 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 we wind up in one of two places. Uh, how many of you have seen the show on television called Hoarders? Anybody, that show scares the fool out of me. I, I don't know how anybody can, I, it just makes me creepy just to think about it. How can you crawl in over trash and lay down on, I mean, just piled up to the ceiling and some of those, I'm going, good Lord. I mean, I can't, I literally cannot watch it because it freaks me out, all right? And, and, and so you have this hoarding mentality. I got to get, I got to get, I got to get, I got to get more and more and more. I need 7 million Barbie dolls. I need this, I need this, I need this. And then the other side of this same equation, it's, just, it's a two-headed beast. The other side is, I'm going to spend, I'm going to spend, I'm going to spend. All right? Now, to those of you who are not married, let me help you. Those two people usually marry each other. You got the person who's the saver, and you got the person who's the spender, right? Come on, some of you are married. No, I'm telling the truth, all right? And, and, and so there, there's this war that goes on. Now, here's the issue with both of those. Both of these, whether it's the hoarding thing or the spending thing, both of those are self-centered. Both of those are about me, what I want, what I desire, what I need, what I've got to have. Ooh, the latest this and the greatest that and the most wonderful other thing. I've got to have it. And you know what? The root of both of those is the same. The root of both of those is greed. The hoarder says, I got to have it. I got to pile it up because there might come a day things are going to fall apart and I'm not going to have enough. And so I'm going to sock it away. I'm going to put it away, Pastor, for a rainy day. The consumer, the spender says, I'm going to spend it now because as long as I got it in my pocket, I can spend it. Nobody can get it. So it's like, it's like, man, the mall's having a sale, and there's a new car out, and there's a new this out. And Come on, you know I'm telling the truth. And, and that's kind of how we live. Greed. Here, here's what the, the definition of greed is. Greed is just the assumption that it's all for my consumption. Greed just means I assume that everything's about me. It's about me. It's about mine. Come on. Uh, you, you know, that when our kids were small, we read them the, the little books called the Berenstain, Berenstain Bears. I don't know if any of you remember those. Anybody remember those books? All right, good. And, and, and there was one that was, I still remember, it, it was called A Bad Case of the Gimmies. Right? One of the bears had a bad case of the gimmies. I, I, the bad thing is, is when a little two-year-old is doing that, it's bad when a 42-year-old is doing that. 
it's all about me. I got to have, I got to have. Now, now, hear me carefully. I love America. I love the way we're so I love capitalism. I'm, I'm not preaching communism at any level, all right? I, I love that we're able. I, I love to be able to go to the store and make choices. I, I love all that stuff. But what I'm saying is, is that I don't want financially to always make God a backup plan. I don't want him always to be third, fourth, fifth, way back here somewhere. And what happens to us is, and I guarantee you it's happened to everybody in here, if I were to ask you to raise your hands, some of you would lie, but the rest of us would be honest. And, and, and I would say, have you ever been in a financial bind that you asked God help in? And everyone else would say, yeah, man, when my, my, my practice was going under and my business was suffering. And, and you know, when I was, I was in this job and, and they were about to close the doors. And, and you know, when my, my house was being forklifted, I was like, oh, Jesus, you know, right? I mean, we, we run to him then. I don't want you running to him and him going, who are you? You look vaguely familiar. I think I remember you, but remind me again who you are, right? There's, there's an aspect here that we need to learn to live uh, with some guardrails. So I'm, I'm going to talk about some guardrails here today. The guardrail against greed, I want you to get this, guardrail against greed is to repri- reprioritize your financial word, world with God at the top, all right? Get everything in order and put God at the top. Now, I'm, I'm going I'm to give you three words today, and I hope you'll write these down. And here are the three words, and this is what we're going to talk about the rest of the day. I, I, and that's not all day. That's the rest of this talk that I'm giving. Some of you got nervous, all right? And, and here are the words. Give, save, and live. I hope you're writing that down. Give, save, and live. Now, we, we've got to come to an understanding here. The, the, the book of Matthew, the 6th chapter, 24th verse says you can't serve God in mammon. But would you, I hope you still got your Bibles open or whatever you're looking at. Would, would you go to the 31st verse? Because the 31st verse says, so do not worry. Would you just look at your neighbor and say, don't worry? Come on. Some of you need to do that. Right? So do not worry, saying, watch what he says. Now, this is Jesus. This is the same setting here. So do not worry, saying, what shall we eat? What shall we drink? Or what shall we wear? He's saying, don't be hoarding. Right? Verse 32, for the pagans run after all these things. Now, the word pagan there just means somebody who doesn't know Jesus Christ, somebody who's not in relationship with God. He said that's the way the world lives. He said that's, you, you've got to come to an understanding. That's, you know, they're always worried, uh, what's going to happen with the economy? What's going to happen with my savings? What's going to happen with my retirement? What's going to happen? What's going to happen? He said that's what the pagans do, but watch what he said. Your heavenly Father knows that you need them. What? These things. Let me ask you a question. Do you really believe that? No, again, do you really believe, do you believe that God knows what you need? Or do you think he's some capricious God up in the heavenlies who kind of just sends you out here and, and, and gives you uh, some good ideas but never shows up to help you? I don't know about you, but I don't want to serve a God like that. He goes on, look in verse 33. Now watch what he says. First three words there, but seek first seek first his kingdom and his righteousness and all of these things will be added 
to you. Here's the translation. Put God first in your finances, and he will be involved with you financially. Give first. Seek the kingdom first. You know why? Because when you give off the top, when you give first, what you're saying, number one, is God, you're number one in my life. Before I do anything else, you're number one. The second thing you're saying is, God, I want to break the spirit of mammon that's on my finances, and I want the spirit of God on it. The Word of God calls that sanctification, if you want to go old school on us, all right? Sanctification. What I want to sanctify the rest of my money. The third thing that you're saying is, God, I want you involved financially with me. So what I'm going to do, I understand. Now get it. Come on, I'm talking to believers right now. I want everybody to understand that God is the one who owns it all. If you are a Christian, you believe that. Lord, it's all about you. It's not about me. It's all about you. So it's yours. So I, I'm just saying to you today that I want you to know that I put you as my first priority. That, that's why Sherry and I, for uh, all these years we've been married, that we tithe off the top. Whatever God has blessed us with, we tithe. We do it faithfully. You know, I, I, I come today, and I have that distinct privilege, and, and at the same time knowing that this is one of those messages where I get those, those emails and those anonymous postings and, and all this stuff that all that preacher cares about down there is about your money, and he wants to see your W-2 and all this stupid stuff that's said. And, and, but, but I want to tell you, I want you to move into what God has. That's why I encourage you to be a percentage giver in your, in your finances. I believe with all of my heart that the Word of God teaches percentage giving, that it teaches a tithe, which is a tenth. And so the entirety of my, our married life, we have always tithed. We tithe every time we get increased. Every time that we need something from God, guess what? He shows up few years back our daughter got to the college age and and uh, we had put a lot of money back we thought and uh, she decided to go to one of the most expensive schools in the nation and so we realized that not only did we not have enough money for her education we didn't have enough money for the first year we had about the first semester's worth and, uh, but we were, we were faithful, we were honorable, and, we, and so we went to God and said, God, you said uh, that if we trust in you, we look to you, seek first your kingdom, then all these things will be added to you. You know we have a daughter who needs things added to her. She likes lots of things, Lord, so <laughs> could you bless us? She goes to college the first semester, and nothing. I mean, no scholarships, no anything. The, the second semester rolls around. She's back at ORU, and we're trying to figure out how to make this all happen. I get a phone call at my office. I was still pastoring in Adamsville then. I was in my office, and I got a phone call from Sherry, and she's crying. Now, that's never a good thing <laughs> when your wife calls you crying because my first thought was, what did I do? What did I mess up on? What was it that I didn't do or should have done or whatever? And I said, what's wrong? She said, you need to come home. I said, What's wrong? No, it's nothing wrong. Just come. So I went home. She handed me a packet that was from Oral Roberts University in Tulsa, Oklahoma, that was a scholarship for an incoming freshman. 
She was not an incoming freshman, by the way. She was a second semester freshman. She wasn't even qualified for it, and yet there was a scholarship, a full-ride scholarship to Oral Roberts University for the entirety of her education. Now, you can just say, well, that just happened. You believe what you want to. I know that because of obedience when we had a need. And I could stand here and tell you time after time after time where God has done that. So here's, here's what I found out about people moving into this level of giving. Generally speaking, people learn to be percentage givers when they get into financial trouble. When, when it's like, man, whoo, this is not working. And, and here's, here's what I find out a lot of times. People will talk to me and they'll say, Pastor, you know, we're, we're just struggling. We can't make it. I, I can't afford to give. And then the other conversation I have with people is, well, pastor, do you know how much money I make? Do you realize that if I gave a percentage, do you know how much that would be? So, so I, it's this two spectrums that you, you wind up against. I, I don't have anything, or I got so much if I was a percentage giver. Lord, mercy, do you know how much money that would be if I gave all that? Right? But what I want to tell you is, is that when you face that financial issue, when you're in trouble, when you are in debt, when you need God to get involved, it is wonderful to know that you have been honorable to Him and doing what He's asked you to do all along. All right? So you've got this aspect of giving. That's the first part. Right off the top, you say, why do you do that? Because if God can get you to give, He's got your heart. So I don't believe that. Well, let me give, can I give you scripture for it? Where your treasure is, there's your heart also. So I believe in percent again, 10% right there. We do that. We do other, but we do that. All right? The second part is saving. All right? Again, people say, Pastor, you know how bad it is in my house? I can't believe you're trying to tell me I need to be saving some money. Do you realize we're in a recession? Do you realize how bad it is out there? Let me, let me help you. I don't live on a mountain and come down once a week and talk. <laughs> I, I'm living the same experience you're living, all right? So I understand recession. I understand all the economic stuff. But I want to tell you, for your family, saving is something you need to be doing consistently. I'll go Dave Ramsey on you here. You need to be setting aside a percentage. And again, I think a good percentage, 10% off the top, 10% for savings. Before you ever touch your money, before you ever do anything. But we can't afford to. Really? But you can afford for everybody in the family to have an iPhone. I mean, does five-year-old Susie really need an iPhone? Really? Does little Johnny have to have the latest, greatest whatever? Well, we, we, I can't afford to say, Pastor, you've got to understand, we, we, our nose is to the grindstone. How many channels do you need? I told you we're going to have fun. I mean, how fast does the Internet have to be at your house? Maybe some of you need to go on that beans and rice, rice and beans for a while. Because, now, now listen, if you're making plenty of money and you can afford an iPhone for everybody in the family, you can afford, I, go for it. It doesn't bother me. But don't come to me and say, I can't afford to give and I can't afford to save because I'm going to ask you, let's see what you're spending your money on. How many times a week do you eat out? Hmm. 
just feels good sometimes, doesn't it? Saving. Well, I'll do that. Can I, can I just go a step further? If your company or your business that you have, whatever, if it matches a certain percentage of your income and you're not doing it, my question is, what is your problem? That's free money. Well, I know I'm preaching good when it gets real quiet. So I'm just going to talk to the campuses because they'll listen, all right? The, the, the thing that we have to come to an understanding, let, let me, can I throw one more in there? Since we're having such a good time at this one, throw one more. I think especially to husbands and fathers, I think you ought to have a good insurance deal. I think, I, listen, go, term insurance is cheap. If something happens to you, your family, your widow, your children should not have to be struggling for the rest of their lives because you didn't take care of them. And I'm sure some insurance guys are loving this part of what I'm talking about, but I mean it. I believe, I'm, listen, it, I get nervous every once in a while uh, between the church and the deacons and what what, what I have personally, I'm afraid the deacons or my wife's going to knock me off. You know, we got a pretty good key man policy on me for the church, and then I've got a pretty good, and, and, and I'm worth a whole lot more dead than I'm alive, you know, and gets a little nerve-wracking sometimes. But, but, but I believe that, that there ought to be part of this savings thing that, that's part of our life. I think the Word of God teaches that. I, I think it's needful that, that you say, and again, I, I think a good percentage is, is just 10%. So you, you got this jar, that's the giving jar. You got the next jar, that's the savings jar. And then you've got the living jar. But, but watch this. People say, well, if I was just financially independent, I'd just give to the church, or I'd just give to the orphans, or I'd just give to my neighbors. You're, you're, you're fooling yourself. I thought, for those of you who get really upset by the things I say, you ought to see what my brain says. Uh, no, you're playing games. All right, Why? Because can I just tell you what financial independence is? Let me give you a definition of financial independence. Financial independence is living as if your ultimate dependence is not your finances. Listen, I love saving. I love retirement accounts. I love all those things. But I refuse to allow my trust to be in those. Whatever God wants. I want him to have. Whatever happens in this society. Listen, I want to tell you, I know, I am not preaching. I don't want anybody to walk out of here and say, well, he's one of those health and wealth and prosperity preachers. And, and I do believe in health and wealth and prosperity. I sure don't like the alternative. But I'm not preaching some stupidity up here. I'm talking to you. I'm not saying that you're never going to go through a rough time financially if you give to God. But what I am saying is, is that if you get in a rough time financially, you've got a resource to go to. All right? So, so there's this, this whole thing. And, and you know what? Here's, what? here's what I found out, that it probably would not require anything extraordinary for us to get here. It would just take a little bit of changing. It would take a little bit of looking at the extras and the things that we don't have to have. And so, you know what? For a season, I'm going to bring my, my home life, my fine. I, I want to bring everything together. Why? Because if I give and I save, then I can live. John 10.10 says, A thief comes but for to kill, to steal, and guess what? Destroy. But Jesus said, I am come that you may have life and it more abundantly. That's living. 
that, that's coming to that place that, you know what? I've already determined God's number one. I'm seeking first the kingdom. Secondly, I'm at this place in my life that, you know what? I'm, I'm taking care of the future. If there's an emergency, if there's something happens, that there's a savings there. And then I'm living the life that Jesus Christ has called me to live. And you know what? It's a whole lot better to live there than it is to be worried about picking up the phone, be worried about what the next bill that comes in is and what's going to happen. People see my wife and I, and they think, well, you know, if I was pastoring, listen, my wife drives a car that's 11 years old. I drive a car that's five years old. Can I afford a newer one? Sure. If I want one, I'll get it, and I'll pay for it. But I don't have to have it. See, there's a difference in your mindset. There's a change that has to happen. People you got to get it. You've got to come to that place where greed is not ruling your life, where you live a life where you're giving, you're saving, and you're living. That you've established these jars, that you've placed these things together, that it says, you know what, I'm living every week, but I'm going to give, I'm going to save, and I'm going to live. What would happen if we would truly begin to implement this into our lives? Number one is, a lot of you would smile more. You'd be a whole lot more fun to hang out with because you have allowed the system to tell you you've got to have the latest, the best, the fastest, the whatever, instead of saying, wait a minute. You know what? If I can pay for it, fine. But I'm not going to put myself under stress. Here's what the Bible says, and we'll come to a close. The Word of God says that the lender rules over the borrower. That the borrower is a servant to the lender. You know what? I want you to come to that place where you're living an abundant life in the blessings that God has for you day in and day out.